Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday. Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday. I do all of these podcasts full-time. The writing, the research, everything. So every dollar you give helps keep it all going, and I'll make sure to thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. She may not be as well-known as she should be in Canada, but Mary Tuax Early had a huge impact on Canada and the rights of Indigenous women. Arriving late in life to activism, she would campaign tirelessly for her cause and succeed in her quest. Today, I'm looking at this fascinating woman, and I'll also be featuring my interview with Courtney Montour, who recently made a documentary film for the National Film Board about Mary, and I'll have a link to where you can watch it through the Edmonton Film Festival in my show notes. Born on the Kahnawake Reserve on October 4, 1911, Mary would live with her mother, who was a teacher, healer, and nurse, watching as she cared for the vulnerable members in Indigenous communities. Sadly, when Mary was still a young child, her mother would die from the Spanish flu while helping students who were infected in North Dakota. From this point on, Mary would be raised by her grandparents at Kahnawake. When she turned 18, Mary began to look for employment, a quest that would take her from her home to the United States where she settled in Brooklyn. The neighborhood she lived in was made up of Mohawk people, many from her own area of Canada who came to the area in the 1920s to work in the iron and steel industry of the city. While living in the city, she would meet Edward Early, who was an Irish-American electrical engineer. The couple would marry in 1938, and together they would have two children, Rosemary and Edward. Each summer, they would return to Kahnawake to visit. With that marriage to a non-status Indigenous person, Mary would lose her Indian status. The Indian Act, which had been created in 1876, contained an amendment that removed all land and treaty rights for female status Indians who married a non-status man. The amendment still allowed Indigenous men to pass their status to their wives and children, but women could not do the same. The only way for a woman to regain her status was to marry a status Indian. For decades, Mary and her husband lived a happy life and relatively quiet life. Her friend, Myrtle Bush, would state, quote, A nice lady, but you know, she lived a normal housewife type of existence. End quote. The thought of losing her status was not forefront in Mary's mind. She would say years later, quote, Who thought about status? We were in love. End quote. Then, an event in 1966 would change the course of her life forever. 
one of her friends, Florence, would die of a heart attack in her arms. It was Mary's belief that being denied property rights on the Kanawage Reserve had been a contributing factor to her death. Florence had been married to a Mohawk man from another reserve, and since he was from another reserve, she was asked to sell her house. The man then left the reserve and her. Soon after this tragic event, Mary would begin a series of writing and speaking campaigns to raise awareness of the issue and the impact on women who lost their status. In 1967, Mary would become involved in the Indian Rights for Indian Women. At the same time, the Royal Commission on the Status of Women in Canada was created and this provided a platform for Mary and the IRIW to bring the issues of inequality that Indigenous women face to a wider audience. She had contacted Therese Cosgrain, the first woman to lead a political party, who encouraged her to submit the brief to the commission. Mary would lead 30 other Mohawk women to speak before the commission. She would speak on October 2, 1968 to the commission, stating, quote, We are afraid. We can't voice our opinions on the reservation because the band council could tell us to get out. We're not sure we're going to have a home when we get back. End quote. The Royal Commission on the Status of Women in Canada would recommend that the Indian Act be changed to allow an Indigenous woman, upon marriage to a non-Indigenous man, to retain her Indian status and transmit that status to her children. Even with that recommendation, though, the change was not adopted. In 1969, although some sources say 1970, Mary's husband would pass away, and Mary would have to transfer ownership of her home to her daughter, who had married a status Indian in Kanawage, Joseph Two Rivers so that she could return to the reserve. Effectively, this made Mary a guest in her own home. Throughout the 1970s, the Canadian government was unwilling to address the issue of the Indian Act that robbed Indigenous women of their status, but that did not stop Mary from striving to still make change. In 1971, the Supreme Court acknowledged that the Act discriminated against Indian women, but it ruled there was not sufficient grounds to declare the Act invalid. Early would say of the decision, quote, it is such a blow. We were so optimistic about the decision. End quote. In 1974, Mary would become a founding member of the Quebec Native Women's Association. In 1975, Mary, along with 60 other women from her reserve, went to the International Women's Year Conference in Mexico City. It was while at the conference that she received a phone call stating that the band council on her reserve had served all the women attending the conference with eviction notices. This would prove to be a wrong move for the band council, but the right move for Mary. She would take advantage of the situation to highlight the gender discrimination women faced in Canada on an international stage. Before long, a great deal of negative coverage spread across North America, which resulted in the band council withdrawing the eviction notices. Mary's daughter Rosemary would state, quote, I was very angry when they brought the eviction notice here. Even my husband was, and my children. It affected them too. I got in touch with Senator Cosgrain, and then we started getting hold of news media. There was so much publicity that by the time my mother got home, the chief had to withdraw the notice. End quote. In 1976, Mary was elected to the Board of Directors of the Canadian Research Institute for the Advancement of Women. On November 17, 1979, Mary was officially recognized for her work, and she would receive the Governor General Persons Case Award for her contribution to the advancement of equality for women and girls in Canada. Then, the First Minister's Conference was being held, involving all the Premiers and the Prime Minister coming together to discuss issues. Mary attempted to get a formal time slot to speak about her cause, but she was denied. Quebec Premier René Lévesque 
heard about this denial, and he pledged his support for her, offering her his seat at the table. Mary would say about the issue that it was about dignity, stated, quote, For too long, we have been treated as second-class citizens, even by our own people. I don't want money. I just want my birthright back. End quote. I had a vision that I one day would be free again, free to be myself, to be an Indian. I lost that freedom 45 years ago. It was divested by a law. I had a vision that the free fathers of the great citadel for democracy and freedom, a land of 23 million who form a mosaic of people and cultures known as Canada. In March 1985, she would write a letter to the Montreal Gazette stating, quote, When the Canadian government restores Indian women and their children to their rightful place in their Indian culture, Canada's own honour will be restored. End quote. Finally, on June 28, 1985, Bill C-31 received royal assent, amending the Indian Act and creating the process for women who had lost their status to regain it. One week later, on July 5th, Mary became the first Indigenous woman to have her status reinstated in a Toronto ceremony. She would state, quote, Now I'll have legal rights again. After all these years, I'll be legally entitled to live on the reserve, to own property, die, and be buried with my people. End quote. She would add, quote, I feel terrible that it has taken so long for women to be reinstated. I represent a lot of non-status Indian women, and you would not believe what we had to put up with from our own people. End quote. John Crombie, the Indian Affairs Minister, who personally reinstated early status, would state the new legislation, quote, rectifies the hurt done to certain women, end quote. He would then add, quote, I could find no greater tribute to your long years of work than to let history record that you are the first person to have their rights restored under the new legislation, end quote. The day before the change to the Act, Early was awarded the Ordre Nationale de Quebec, becoming one of the first people to receive the award. That same year, she also received the Order of Canada. The change in legislation provided 16,000 other Indigenous women and 46,000 of their descendants the opportunity to regain their revoked Indian status. It also allowed 2,000 women to return home to the Kahnawake Reserve. In 1993, several Indigenous groups brought their opposition to Bill C-31 to court, stating the government could not decide who was eligible for membership. The group was led by Walter Twin, a Cree chief from Slave Lake, Alberta, who was a generous donor to the Conservative Party and had been named a senator by Prime Minister Brian Mulroney in 1990. Mary, despite being 82, would provide a personal testimony as a witness for the Native Council of Canada, giving an account of the negative impact the Indian Act had on Indigenous women before C-31. She would show the judge a picture of her father from 60 years previous, sitting in traditional dress on the stoop of the family home, the home that she had lived in since 1975, even when there were attempts to evict her. The court, in the end, would decide to let Bill C-31 stand. In 1996, Mary was presented with the National Aboriginal Achievement Award. And then, on August 21, 1996, at the age of 84, Mary would pass away on the reserve where she was born. She would be buried there as per her wishes. And without her efforts to change the Indian Act, that wish would not have been granted. The Vancouver Sun would write of her at her death, quote, They called her a pioneer of Canadian feminism and an inspiration to Aboriginal women. 
They said the force of her personality and the rightness of her cause shamed Parliament into changing a section of the Indian Act that had discriminated. End quote. On June 28, 2021, a Google Doodle was created to honor her and her achievements. I wanted the Doodle to show her prominence, I guess, her, you know, the impact of the, the, the work she did. It took her entire life to accomplish this. This digital work tells the story of a Ganyakahaga woman who changed Canada. Artist Starhorn says she's hoping today's Google Doodle will help raise awareness about the legacy of the late Mary Tuax Early, who spent her life fighting against gender discrimination in the Indian Act. I had a vision that I one day would be free again to be an Indian. I married a white man in 1938, and yet there's that law that you're not Indian anymore when you marry a non-Indian. For decades, First Nations women who married a non-status man were stripped of their Indian status, as were their children. A law can make your own brother discriminate against you, like he's Indian and you're not. But on this day in 1985, Bill C-31 was passed, reinstating her Indian status and that of thousands of others. Mary is just such an important figure in Canadian history. It's time that her story becomes more well-known. Courtney Mator is a Ganyatkahaga filmmaker from the same community as Two Acts Early. She wrote and directed a documentary that dives into her life and legacy. Horn is also from Gahnawage. I wanted her family to be proud of it. I wanted them to to know how important she, she what she means to everybody. I wanted uh, I wanted people to know her impact. Advocates say that Two Acts Early's fight for Indigenous women's rights needs highlighting because it's not over yet. The National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls called for the elimination of lingering gender-based discrimination in the Indian Act. So it's so important that it's going to have this, you know, this reach across Canada that I just want more people to, to know her name and understand that this isn't something of the past. No doubt, Mary Tuax Early would agree. Gonna see you, dear. CBC News, Gahnawage. And now, my interview with Courtney Montour. So what inspired you to, to make this film about uh, Mary Two Acts? Well, I mean, for me, Mary Two Acts early uh, is just such an incredibly inspiring woman. Um, she's from my community, Mohawk, Ganwage, and Mary Two Acts early took on Canada to challenge sex discrimination against First Nations women. And she inspired a movement that continues to this day. So to mm-hmm. me, that's that's incredibly um, important for people to know. Uh, was it challenging at all to kind of put the put the film together, find all this stuff about Mary, even though I, you know she she died relatively recently, I think twenty five years ago or so. Twenty five, yep, twenty five years. Um, it, it really it was. Um, there's so few archives out there on Mary to X early. And I mean, even if you go online, um, there's three or four photos that keep circulating. And when I was going to archival institutions across the country, um, there really wasn't much out there. And the archivists would tell me the same thing. They're like, wow, you're doing all the research. We just, you know, we don't have those things. Mm -hmm. And it, 
you know, it really makes me reflect on um, the history in this country and, and who tells those stories, who decides what's important. And Mary Twax Early and these women and, and this issue was covered by the media all the time in the, the 70s and early 80s, mm-hmm. but it wasn't kept. And so I think that's really telling about, um, you know, the importance of First Nations history, of First Nations women, um, really the people who, who, who kept a lot of the archives that I found uh, were women, uh, women who supported her and uh, filmmaker Alanis Obamswin who did the recordings of Mary. So again, it's, it's women uplifting women's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tend to focus on Mary's life, uh, especially in the seventies and eighties when she was taking on the, uh, the, the Indian act, but obviously she had a life before that as well. That was somewhat interesting as well. Yeah. I mean, Mary grew up in Ganawage. I mean, her mom was Oneida. So she, she only came back to, to the community when she was 10 years old. Um, but I think that um, I think that influenced a lot of who she became and how she led and um, the, the care that she put into fighting for First Nations women's rights, I think came a lot from how she was raised from her grandparents. So she, she lived in the community and was raised in her grandparents' home. Uh, and that home is still there today. And that's where um, so much of her grassroots efforts started with meetings with women around the kitchen table. Um, that's where these, these beautiful recordings of Mary were also taken at her kitchen table. Um, so I think there, there's so much rooted in Ganawage, in her community, in her connection to her community. And I think that's so important um, and why she was fighting for this issue, why Indigenous women, you know, have a right to belong and be part of their communities. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, for a lot of people, they might think of it as, um, well, if she marries a, a non-status uh, man and she loses her status, it's not a big deal, but it very much was a big deal for, for a lot of Indigenous women. So what was the effect of losing the status uh, for a lot of women if they did marry somebody who was non-status? Right. So again, um, for people who might not know, um, Indian status, and it's called Indian because that's the word used in the Indian Act and by the federal government. Um, And the status applies to First Nations. But again, it's called Indian. Um, And at the time, if if an Indian woman married somebody who was non-Indian, she lost her status and so did her children. But if an Indian man married someone non-Indian, they gained status and so did their children. So basically what that meant was there were separate rules for women and for men. And it caused a great deal of disconnect from community that we still see today. Um, It meant the woman had to leave her community um, that she could no longer consider herself First Nations by the government. Um, And that's incredibly painful. Um, In in the documentary in Mary Twack's early I Am Indian Again, there's one scene where we look at one of these um, letters, one of these enfranchisement letters that women received. And 
Um, it was written by the Indian agent, but basically, you know, it, it outlines that this woman was the daughter of these two people. And now by virtue of marriage to Mr. Whoever, you're no longer Indian. Um, and it just, your life completely changes. And that letter, you know, that comes from the Canadian government, I think also really shows a position of, or their, their feeling on, on women that she's almost basically a property mm -hmm. just belonging to the man. And that's really what it was. It's that women's, you know, nationhood was determined by her connection to the man. And so that separation from community was the, the, the biggest thing at the time. And those issues are still here today. So there's been amendments to the Indian Act changes um, to, to allow these women to regain their status, but it comes in little pieces, mm -hmm. um, which creates other challenges. There's still thousands of women who are waiting to be recognized by Canada, who um, are taking their cases to the courts. Um, and, you know, in the meantime, while that's happening, while they have to put all their energy into proving who they are, they, that disconnect from community is still there. So um, they won't have access to live in their communities. They won't have access to really be part of the, you know, social, economic, cultural part of their communities. Mm -hmm. um, they, they can't vote. They can't be, you know, a part of perhaps, you know, boards in their communities. Um, they, their children might not be able to attend schools in their communities. Um, a lot of cultural and language programs are also tied to status. So it's, you know, status really is key to inclusion, to being part of your community. I mean, that's the way the federal government has set it up. Um, when making the film, was there anything that you were surprised to learn about Mary that you didn't know before? Um, I'm trying to think now. I mean, it's, it's been <laughs> such, you know, a journey of, of four, years, four years of being immersed in, in mm -hmm. her life that, um, you know, I think I actually didn't know necessarily a lot of the, the you know, the ins and outs of, and details of these moments. Um, for example, uh, in the film, there's a scene where Mary speaks out for the very first time at the 1968 Royal Commission on the Status of Women. Um, and that was in Ottawa. There was briefings across the country to bring women's issues to the mm -hmm. forefront. And she spoke in Ottawa. And um, I mean, I, I knew this had happened, but we, I, we found the audio, you know, I was able to find the audio of that. So to, to hear that first time of her speaking out um, is really incredible. And, and, you know, kind of just gives me goosebumps of, of that first time um, of that happening. So things mm -hmm. like that, um, I think were really special and really to hear those recordings that filmmaker Alanis Obamswin, you know, did with Mary are just so precious to be able to 
hear Mary telling her own story in her own words. Um, because what we see a lot of is, you know, little paragraphs in books. Um, and that's, that's what we, that's what we have access to, you know, in this country. So mm -hmm. when I've spoken with many people, many people haven't, um, you know, haven't had the chance to, to hear Mary or see Mary before. So it's really the first time for many people in this movie, even many people who carry on the work that she's done. So I think that's, that's what's really special that, um, that, you know, she's being honored in this way that she's mm -hmm. inviting us in to tell us her own story. Um, so for years, she'd been fighting this fight and receiving some notice for it. But how important was it when she went to the first minister's conference in, I think, 82, and René Levesque gave his seat so that she could have, you know, a platform to speak on? Was that kind of a turning point for, for her campaign to, to make changes to the uh, Indian Act? Right. So that was in, in 1983. 1983. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I think everything that, that Mary and, and these women did was a turning point. There, there are so many, uh, yeah, there, there's so many moments, um, but this is one that um, was special to in include in the film. I think visually as well. I think mm -hmm. it's something that um, people might be shocked by um, because she, she has spoken in, in front of, you know, large groups before but this is the opportunity where, where we have the scene, we have the art, the archive still exist. Mm -hmm. Seeing Mary um, sitting at this minister's conference around the table. Um, and, you know, what you see in this large, large room is predominantly men. You know, there's may, maybe a handful of women sitting in this room and there's Mary uh, and just sitting there with her piece of paper and, and sharing her story. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, those last lines of set my sisters free just always sticks with me. Uh, and having that resonate in this, this large space for, for everyone to hear. And I just can't imagine um, having to, to come and present in this room again with all men <laughs> to sit at this table. <laughs> And it also, it's, it's, you know, telling these are the people making the decisions. Again, mm -hmm. it's, it's all men making the decisions of what's impacting women and their children. So it's so important that Mary was there. And again, what she always brings with her is, is her personality. I always, every time I see or hear her, there's that sense of just caring and, and warmth that she brings to, to the very, long fight that she had mm -hmm. to endure. Um, is one goal of your film, obviously, to to bring more notice to what Mary did? Um, obviously, she's been honored in other ways. I know she has the Google Doodle, which is, you know, kind of a big deal in the 21st century. But is your film kind of a way to really show her story, show how long her fight was and how she she didn't give up on it uh, and, and did succeed? Yeah, I mean, one of one of you know the biggest reasons I wanted to tell the story was to bring more awareness to to Mary Twax early, to Indian rights for Indian women, to the women 
who started this movement that continues to this day and to, to raise awareness that this issue is still going on. I think um, if I would have kept the film in the past, some people might think you know, that that was horrifying, mm -hmm. but that doesn't happen anymore. So for me, it was really important to bring in voices today, like Jodi Callahu Stonehouse, who's based in Edmonton, her daughter, Isabella. Um, they came to Ganawage and sat around the, the kitchen table in Mary's home um, to listen to these recordings and to reflect on it because they, there are two women who have been you know, positively impacted by these changes and being able to connect to their communities. Um, but they didn't know uh, Mary, Tuat, Mary Tuat's early story um, or her name before we, we started this process. And I think um, Jody and Isabella's experience is very emblematic of, of many Indigenous people in this country who have experienced this themselves, um, but don't, necess don't necessarily know how it started. Mm -hmm. um, again, because it's, it's, it's kept from us, it's kept from the, you know, the general you know, history in this country. So I think it's, it's really important to honor Mary's story, honor the women who have been working on this for so long, um, and to understand that it's still happening today, that thousands of women are still waiting to be recognized. And that is a purposeful, uh, I think it's purposeful on the side of the Canadian government. You know, these were tactics to uh, eliminate and assimilate us. So it's important to know that it's ongoing, um, that this, this racist and, and sexist uh, determination of, of who is Indian mm -hmm. still exists in the Indian Act and women are, are waiting still to be recognized. Um, whether it's her passion, her determination for, you know, this cause, what can we learn from Mary uh, today that we can apply in our own lives? I think, you know, I think one big takeaway for everyone is just um, really the ability that we each have as everyday people to make change, uh, especially in this day and age. Um, you know, there, there's so much going on. And sometimes we think, you know, what can I do about something? Mm -hmm. I can't do anything. But then you see someone like Mary, um, who, and again, it was later in her life, she was in her 50s, and she was seeing uh, this injustice happening to her friends and, and family members. And she was like, no, I need to do something about this. And she was able to, like we, she just shows us that we have that ability to make change, to step up and that we can do something. Mm -hmm. and, and the way she led through persistence and care. And I think that's, that's so important. And it's never too late to, you know, take on a cause that you believe in. Like you said, she was in her fifties when she really started uh, getting going with this. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's never too late. <laughs> and I guess the last question is if, where can people see the film, uh, where they can they get in touch with you, social media, website, anything like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> the film, um, will be premiered, uh, will be premiering in Alberta, 
um, at the Edmonton International Film Festival. And um, so I think the festival this year will be a hybrid of in-person screenings um, mm -hmm. from October 1st to the 10th, but will also be available to, um, to rent online for the month of October um, within Alberta. And the film is going to be playing in two separate um, programs, which I think is really exciting. So, you know, there's a chance for, for people to see it who like different films as well. You know, I, I was, I'm really excited to have the film playing at the Edmonton International Film Festival as well, because this story has so many roots in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Edmonton was really the hub for Indian rights for Indian women and the organization that, that Mary was a part of. She was the vice president and the rest of the organization was in Edmonton. And, and part of that, that movement was Nellie Carlson. Um, and Nellie was an incredible um, Cree activist and, and such an important part of this fight. And she passed away um, in September of last year. And so to have, um, you know, to have Nellie be a part of this film was, mm -hmm. was really special for her to, to share her knowledge and her experience as being one of the co-founders of Indian Rights for Indian Women. So I think it's really important to, um, you know, honor those stories and to be able to bring it back home to where she spent most of her life in Edmonton mm -hmm. and for people in that area to also be able to, to know this important part of the history that this, this movement of women that took place right in Edmonton. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at Mary Two Acts Early. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Again, if you like, you can support the podcast through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. And I'd like to say thank you to all of my wonderful patrons. And if I mispronounce any names, I do apologize. Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke Guess, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Maclean's, Wikipedia, CBC, the National Film Board, the Montreal Gazette, the Vancouver Sun, Ottawa Citizen, and the Vancouver Province. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.